0: I
1: mean, hey, what, what time is the first
0: ball game today in the <laughs> <here. What> <laughs> uh, Barthematics? I just wanted to know if some of you were actually going to check your brackets instead of uh, your Bibles. That's all. You wouldn't do that, though, would you? 12 10. 12 10? Oh, oh no. Okay. <laughs> Second service going to be trouble. So good to see all of you. Uh, it is yeah. what a great group this morning. Uh, spring break has started, of course, but you guys are here, man. That is awesome. It's so good to see all of you. I want to take you to the book of Joshua for a little while here this morning. And I do say a little while, but try to make up for last week, okay? I know some of you last week, last week thought you got the whole series in one service. It was long. You don't need that minute. I know it. <laughs> But uh, Joshua chapters 6, 7, and 8. Now that make, don't let that scare you. We're just going to refer to those, okay? We're not going to do an expository study on every verse. We're going to call this sermon today, Beneath the Serpents. I'm going to read to you before we pray from Joshua chapter 7 and verse number 20. You know the story as the story of Achan. And as we said last week, and I'll take a moment to reiterate... Throughout this series, I doubt very seriously that we're going to study any passage you don't already know about or a passage you've heard of, especially if you grew up in church or grew up in Sunday school, you were taught these stories, but what we're going to do is we're going to pick them apart and we're going to ask God to show us something fresh and something new, okay? And uh, it's all up to Him to show us that, and I think He'll do that. So Joshua chapter 7, verse number 20, the Bible reads, and Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I have done. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold weighing 50 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. And there they are, hidden in the earth, in the midst of my tent, with the silver under it. So our sermon title, Beneath the Surface, comes from the fact that that's what in essence, Achan has told Joshua that you will find these items, these things I've talked about, beneath the surface in my tent. And so let's uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you and we ask you now to bless us, Lord. We thank you so much for what our hearts have already found and what our ears have heard today in the way of praising you. God, thank you for inhabiting this place. You Tell us in your word that you will inhabit the praises of your people. And so we offer you that praise today. And God, we come to you, we turn to you in need of your teaching, in need of the work of the Holy Spirit. God, we pray that you will have your way in us, do a work through us. Help us, God, to examine our hearts. And even more so than that, God, we pray the Holy Spirit will be given permission by each of us to examine our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Some of you have heard the old story, so forgive me for saying it again, but it's applicable to this text that the preacher's wife, who had hidden something in the closet, the preacher was looking for his golf shoes, rummaging through the closet and found a shoebox. So he opens it up and he finds inside the shoebox three eggs and five hundred one-dollar bills. And totally intrigued by this, never knew it was in there, he asks his wife to explain it. She said, well, I'm so sorry you found it. It was a secret. I didn't want you to know that I had this. But honestly, honey, she said, every time you uh, preached a sermon that was just an absolute flop, an egg, I put an egg in this box. And so he thought, well, over the years, only having three eggs, that's not too bad. But what is all this money over here? What is this all about? She so said, well, every time I got a dozen, I sold them for a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> I know some of you are wondering, is that a true story? And was it wasn't my wife. <laughs> in this, in this series, one of the things the Lord just kind of laid on my heart was this that. Sometimes we, we come to the place in our lives where we know things are there and God knows things are there, but everybody else really doesn't know things are there. And those things may be interfering somehow in the victory <clears throat> that we say we want. And, and this story of Achan is an interesting one. If we were to take chapter 6, 7, and 8, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, that's right, 6, 7, and 8, and we were to assign one word to each chapter... I would say uh, chapter 6 we could call triumph. Chapter 6 is the story of Jericho. The mighty victory over Jericho. Where they marched around one time a day for six days. And on the seventh day they marched around seven times. And the walls fell flat. Now in Jericho, they were supposed to give the spoils to God. To the victor goes the spoils. And the first victory was supposed to recognize God as the victor. Not everybody did that. Achan, for instance, did not. So we come to chapter 7. And in chapter 7, the word we would use would be trouble. So we have triumph in chapter 6. We have trouble in chapter 7. This is when they go against a little place called Ai, short word, small city, and they get defeated. 36 people died. No one was supposed to die. Keep in mind that when God is the captain of your army and you're doing it the way God said do it, no one should die. That should not happen. So 36 men died and they lost the battle. Trouble. That trouble brought about the question of what is going on? Then we have, of course, Chapter 8, which is transformation. Once they had dealt with the matter, once they had dealt with what was preventing the victory, then God gives them great victory, and they go into Ai again. They go, may may I say it to you this way? They get back in the battle, and they're successful again. So, as your pastor What I think God has laid on my heart is this. If there's anything that's preventing you from experiencing the victory, the continuous victory in your Christian life, let us deal with it. And let us get back to the chapter 8, if you will. Let us go on where we're we're experiencing the victory again that maybe we once knew back in chapter 6. That great story of Jericho. But something happened. We're going to examine it as we go through this. Uh, If we were to approach this, and we are today, sort of like a play unfolding, we're going to give it four acts. The very first one we're going to go ahead and fill in the blank. We're going to call agreement. Agreement. Act 1, if you need the service. There was an agreement made back in chapter 6. And the agreement was, you can read with me beginning in verse number 18. And you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things. Now, the word accursed, I'm reading from the New King James Bible. The word accursed is, is kind of a difficult word. What it actually means, and you can substitute it, it means dedicated things. Abstain from the dedicated things. These were things that were dedicated to, to God as a result of God bringing the victory. So, as we read this, think about that. By all means, abstain from the dedicated things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things, and make the camp of Israel a curse, and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. And verse 24 actually says, They burned the city and all that was in it with fire, only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. Alright, so so this is what we learn about about God, what we, what we remind ourselves about concerning this. That God is a God of order, and God desires and deserves... Our honor, does he not? That we honor him. And the Bible tells us throughout the scriptures, he's concerned about being honored first, not last. He doesn't want to be second on your list. And he certainly doesn't want to be anything other than first, no matter what order you're putting in. He wants to be first. He desires and deserves it. So, so what happens then? Well, the scriptures give us passages like this. Proverbs 3 and verse 9. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So when we think about the word first fruits, that becomes very important. Are we honoring God with that which belongs to Him, that which is considered first? Now, there are many things that go through our minds, not just our finances, although we should honor Him with our finances. What about our talents and our energy? What about the amount of, uh, 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 of, of energy that we have in the course of the week? Are we spending it serving God, or are we spending it doing a lot of other things? Some have said that we are to give him the tithe and the talent and also our time. I'm a little bit concerned if I can share this with you just from my heart. I I see a trend that is uh, sweeping our country, and I am a little bit burdened about it. Uh, You know, in the scriptures, in the book of Revelation, the Bible says John was in the spirit on the Lord's day. I want you to think about something with me for a moment, and that is the definition of the Lord's day. It was not the Sabbath. The Sabbath is the seventh day of the week. It is when the Jews worshipped. But the first day of the week was known as the Lord's Day. I know I'm preaching to people who are in the house of God on the Lord's Day. I know that. But but it's important for us to reiterate the importance of what we do and why we do it. The, The very first day of the week, according to the Gospel of John, is when Jesus met with his disciples. Eight days later, and you can do the math, you come back to the first day of the week. Paul even talked about when you do the collection, make sure you collect it on the first day of the week. So my question for you is this, in your mind and in your heart and among your family and the people that you represent, is the first day of the week the Lord's day, or is it actually what seems to be trending just another day to do what we want to do if that's what we want to do this is a matter of principle that we have to establish because here's what we're finding back a few years ago we started seeing churches starting to change the order of service and move things around where you know at one time and you could prove this the old 11 o'clock service that we used to have all the time Sunday so school at 10 and church at 11, any you remember that? Three of you do. No, a those days a long time ago. Some say that was that was to please the farmer that, that had to milk his cows and, and and that's how those times developed. I, I don't know that that's true. I mean, I read that somewhere. I've heard that somewhere. But but the point is that some would argue that when you meet on the Lord's day often has something to do with when it's convenient for us. But my point is this. Should worship always be what's convenient for us? Do we realize what David said on one occasion where he said, I will not offer that to my Lord, which cost me nothing. There ought to be a day or two in your life when you get up and you say, you know what, I'd rather do this, but today's the Lord's day, Amen. and so I'm going to the house of the Lord. Amen. Now maybe you did that this morning. I would doubt that one bit. It's a beautiful day out there, and, and, uh, and, and you can always uh, come up with reasons why, and, and I hear this a lot. Well, you know, God instituted the family too, and so it's good for the family, and so we choose sometimes the family over worship. We do. That's, that's the nature of man. So, what do you get? I, I want to reiterate the importance of the Lord saying, "Some things belong to me." That's what the Lord said. Amen. Amen. Some things belong to me. It's not really a negotiation. It's not really up to, to you debating with God. If you were to ask Him, I think you'd know what He says. That's why we don't ask Him. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. You don't ask questions; you already know the answers, do you? Come on. You know, you were to ask God, maybe you should pray over that. I don't think that's going to happen because you know what He's going to say. So what are you getting at? Well, I'm saying that there was an agreement made and the agreement was that God would be first. We have verses of Scripture like Hebrews 10 and verse 25, not forsaking the assembly together of ourselves as the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So, do we agree that some things belong to the Lord? In this case, there were certain things that belonged to the Lord. Now, it was, but it was a common practice. As a matter of fact, I'm going to get a little bit ahead of myself, so bear with me for just a moment. When you read chapter 8, and you read the great victory that God brings against Ai, he tells the people something there in chapter 8 totally different than what he says in chapter 6. And here's what he says, in essence, if you'll let me paraphrase it. All of the spoils you can keep. wanted, had he just waited on the Lord. But he couldn't do it. He seized the moment, man. He took what was not his. And and so the Bible says that it ends up costing him greatly. And many of you know the story, and we'll get to it eventually here. Uh, But uh, uh, Number two, act two. This is an important point. We're going to call it accomplishment. Act two, accomplishment. Would Achan have done what he did if things were a little more difficult for Achan? Let me put it to you another way. Is it not true that many of us make bad decisions when we are probably at our most successful times? Hmm. Success can produce major failure. Some have even said... That success is one of the most dangerous things in the Christian's life. Why? Because we have a tendency to be self-reliant and forget God. Now the Bible warns His people about this in many passages. Deuteronomy chapter 6. He told uh, the people of Israel, beginning in verse 10... So shall it be when the Lord your God brings you into the land in which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a large and beautiful cities, which you did not build, houses full of all good things, which uh, which you did not fill, hewn out wells, which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees, which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, that's an important phrase. When you have eaten and are full. You know, the truth of the matter is, we do not necessarily pray as hard when we are full as we pray when we are hungry. Amen. So when you have eaten and are full, then beware, he says. Beware. Lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Is it true that success could actually be a a petri dish uh, in which self-reliance and forgetfulness of God actually does grow? Is it possible that when we are doing really well, we forget God? I'm telling you that Jericho was a fairly easy victory. I believe that, man. I'm telling you that they marched around. Can you imagine that? I just, I can't get over what the, I wish sometimes we could just get a, a, a photo of the faces of people in the Bible when they receive certain news. And the news was, this is our military strategy. We're going to walk around. <laughs> what kind of facial expression would you give? You know, Joshua, are you feeling all right, man? I'm telling you, this is not... What do you mean we're going to walk... Yeah, we're going to walk around. Oh, and then we're going to attack. We're going to build something. We're going to climb over and we're going to... No, the walls are just going to fall flat. God is going to do this. Now, when God does this, He wants the honor and the glory for it. That's why they have little to do with it. Amen. Are you following me? Amen. It was really funny last night. We were watching some of the quality of March Madness, and yes, I have a bracket, and it's not doing too bad, as a matter of fact. But we're not going to talk about that. (laughs) I will talk about one of the interviews of one of the players, though, who won a game with a last minute shot. Some of you heard it. You know, I just have to give God the glory for this. This, he said, was a result of a lot of hard work. We had a room full of uh, Bible college students who were watching the game last night at my house, a lot of DJ's friends from Trinity were over, and we just kind of looked at each other, and we thought, what what did he just say? I want to give God the glory. This was a result of a lot of hard work. (laughs) I know God blesses our work. That's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying somewhere, one of the people in the room said, well, they gave God the glory, and they took it right back. (laughs) Could it be that Joshua and, and the people, it was so easy for them. Could it be that Achan marches over the rubble of the flattened wall and then he says, you know what, this is pretty good. I think I'm entitled to this. What went on in Achan's mind that we do not know. What went on in his heart, we are given a little glimpse of, and I'm going to get there with you in just a minute. But before we do that, I want to, I want to emphasize for you the importance of being very careful. Many of you have been greatly blessed by the, by the Lord, and we need to stop and praise Him for that. Amen. Many of you listen I'm telling you, you've been greatly blessed. Amen. And if you're not careful, you will forget it was him who did it. Are you hearing me? Accomplishment. The writer of Proverbs 30 made this comment, verse number 8. Remove falsehood and lies from me. Listen to this prayer. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you. And say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. I would wager to say that the majority of us do not pray, God, just give me enough. The majority of us pray, God, I want the success. God, I want all I want you to And I'll honor you. I'll not forget you. Just be careful. Because success can actually be your greatest failure when it comes to your relationship with God. Number three on the list Act three. We're moving right along, aren't we? Amen. God. Amazing. Some of you are saying, Preach, why did you do this last week? We couldn't know, alright. Act three. I'm not finished yet. I got four of these, so don't get too excited. Number four. I mean, number three. All right. Allurement. We're gonna call this act the allurement. Now, Aiken, I-, I find this interesting, and I-, I don't want to take too much time on it, but in chapter seven, Aiken is a lot different than the couple we studied last week. Remember we talked about Adam and Eve last week? Adam and Eve uh, hid from God. Remember that? Adam and Eve sinned against the Lord. They covered themselves and they went and they hid behind the trees when they heard God's voice. There was obviously some sort of a conviction that set in in Adam and Eve and they said we have to cover up and, and they heard the voice of God and they hid But I want you to notice this. When you study the story of Achan, he never hides. As a matter of fact, nobody knows it is Achan that caused the great defeat. When you read it, you find this. That Joshua decides, God tells him there's a problem in the camp, there's sin in the camp, something happened that should not have happened, and so he begins an examination. So he brings family by family, tribe by tribe, and not one person. Not one person says, Hey Joshua, you can cut through all of this stuff if you want because we've noticed Achan is hiding out, man. Achan's behavior seems to indicate something is not right. Achan was good. Listen, he was good at keeping it a secret. He walked among everyone else and acted like nothing was wrong. No one knew he had done what he did. No one. He doesn't hide. He's not like that child we talked about last week who from, from feeling a sense of guilt runs and hides to their room or, or runs off with something. It's not like that. He's walking about in front of everybody and acting like nothing is wrong. The allurement. So instead he is called up on this. I find it interesting that something happened in Aiken's. Mind and in his heart, maybe he was thinking in terms of, you know, I, I'm entitled, I deserve this. There's a passage of scripture that intrigues me found in First Samuel chapter 15, and it has to do with Saul. I don't know if you remember this or not, or if you've even studied this. Maybe most of you have, some of you have. When Saul was first chosen to be king of Israel, remember he was the first king of Israel. When they were looking for him at his coronation when they wanted to crown him, they could not find him. Because he was hiding. He was hiding. He was shy. He didn't feel like he should be king. But God chose him to be king. So they had to go get him. Now Samuel, something happened in Saul's heart. Something happened from the time that he felt like God had really blessed him. To the supposed to do. Something happened within him. What was it? Samuel makes this statement in 1 Samuel 15 beginning in verse 17. So Samuel said, When you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? Now let me translate that. When you thought less of yourself, when you had some humility about you, Saul, When you realize you're not all that. Before you got the big head, might be a term we would use today. Before you started thinking the way you're thinking, that all of a sudden now you deserve all this and you're just something, man. And and, and before that, isn't it interesting how that what Samuel's saying is, you know what? When you were humble, God was using you in a mighty way. But when all that changed. And what you're actually reading now is the removal of the kingdom. He takes it away. And did not the Lord anoint you, King over Israel, verse 18, says? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil? My apologies to all of you, UNF. We use the <laughs> term spook, in this way. <laughs> and do evil in the sight of the Lord. You might remember that what Saul said to Samuel that day was, I have obeyed God. This is Achan's view walking around like nothing's wrong, man. I've done what I'm supposed to do. No big deal what I've done. Nobody knows. Listen, what could be happening is you might be dealing with adversity as a result of the sin. Now, let me qualify this, please, just in case I give anybody the wrong idea, and I don't mean to do that. We just finished a study on the life of Job. And we know for a fact that not all adversity that comes our way is the result of sin. Can I get an amen or an Amen. ah? Amen. Not all adversity, not all defeat... But I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, it can be used by God to get our attention. Where when things happen that shouldn't happen, we stop and we ask God, we turn to God and we say, What is going on? And then the Holy Spirit says, Well, let me show you something. And he focuses in. Now that may be something that's happening in your life. It might be something that's happening in your family. It might be something that's happening in our church. I don't know. I don't pretend to know. I just know this, that God has laid this on my heart and I'm sharing it and he will make the application as is needed. So I ask you to consider with me what happened here with Akin. So Achan finally is brought before Joshua. Joshua 7, verse number 20. We read it at the beginning and Achan answers Joshua. You see, Joshua had to say to him earlier in verse 19. Why don't you tell us what you did? We know it's you now, so why don't you tell us what you did? Do you see what he's done? He doesn't come forward at any point. He doesn't deal with it at any point. Do you think, listen, maybe Achan is way back there in the back of that line. And they're bringing people up left and right, man. And they've got people standing before Joshua. And Joshua's trying to ascertain by the leading of God who it is. And and Achan's back there hoping and praying he has not found out. Because never does he walk forward and say, listen man, I did it and I'm sorry. He never does that. He's holding to his story until he is found out. There's something about this we need to pay attention to. Would his judgment have been as severe? What would have happened? I, sometimes my imagination runs with me. I, I agree. You have to be careful with that when you're studying the scripture. But I wonder, before they went against Ai, if, if he thought to himself while he was sleeping one night, you know this stuff beneath the surface if I went back to Joshua now and said look man I, I, I did wrong here it is would you, would you include this in the treasury of the Lord because I wasn't supposed to take it I was tempted at the moment and I just I got to get rid of this and I, I, I don't want this in my life would any of that have happened would it have been okay then I don't know it didn't happen would the judgment have been as severe had after they experienced the defeat Joshua stepped up and, and said who did this, what's going on and, and he were to come uh, and willingly confess would it have been any different? I don't know that. I don't know that. What I do know is he did not do it. What I do know is he stuck to his, his, uh, his position. What I do know is he refused to be found out until he was found out. That I know And I think we get a little indication as to why most of you have heard the story in a three-point outline, I saw, I coveted, I took. That's what he said. I saw, I coveted, I took. Both the seeing and the taking are related to the coveting. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying that if things are right in our heart, then what we see does not affect us the same way. Are you following me? Amen. And we actually do control some of what we see. And by the way, let me throw this out to you for whatever it's worth. It is true that there are some temptations that you can avoid. It is also true there are other temptations you cannot avoid. And what you do with it makes all the difference. And what you do with it may depend on what is in your heart. It's really not what was under his tent that was the problem. It was what was in his heart that was the problem. The term is covetous, covetous, was covetous, he was covetous, am I saying that right? <clears> throat> <Covetous>. throat> I keep on saying covetousness for some reason, I don't know why. I saw, Proverbs 9, verse 16 and 18, verse 16 through 18, whoever is simple, let him turn in here and ask for him who lacks understanding. Uh, she says to him, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there. That guests are in the depths of hell. That word uh, from Proverbs nine is talking about a temptress who has uh, made herself available to a person, and and is saying that uh, it will never be found out, bread eaten in secret. And so, a lot of people think, and I have to believe this. I think when Achan saw what he saw, what went through his mind? Do you think he thought about you know what? I'm going to cause 36 people to lose their life. No, I don't think so. Do you think he thought about what actually happens in moments to come, which is his entire family, his entire family, is stoned and then burned with fire. Do you think he thought about all of that? Not at all. What was he thinking? Probably something like, this will be fun. This will be good. This will give me ease. This is going to be pleasurable. That's usually the way sin presents itself, is it not? Only it is destructive and it tears apart families and people. I saw, I coveted, Jesus made this statement in Matthew chapter 7. He was explaining when he was asked by the group of Pharisees around him, how come you and your disciples, how come you don't go through the ceremonial washings Before you eat, you don't wash your hands the way you're supposed to before you sit down, And Jesus made this statement. He said, so he said to them, are you thus without understanding also? Do you not receive whatever enters a man from the outside cannot defile him? Because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. And he said, what comes out of a man that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of man, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and defile a man. Jesus said, listen, it's not what's on the outside that matters. It is what is on the inside that matters. The allurement. Last of all was the assessment. Acts for. Act for the assessment. We've already mentioned much of this to you. In that Joshua begins a process of elimination. He brings the tribes before him, the families before him, and he winds up with uh, Achan and his family standing before him, verse 19. And Joshua said to Achan, this is in chapter 7, verse 19. Now Joshua said to Achan, my son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession to him. And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Joshua knew that there was a problem. He knew Achan was involved, but he didn't know what Achan did. So he asks for a confession. Now, what takes place after this, I don't think any of us would say, is anything other than severe. It's severe. And I'm so thankful that God doesn't work this way today, aren't you? And some of us ought to give a thunderous amen to that. Just <laughs> we ought to be so grateful that God has given to us His wonderful grace and we are not under the law anymore. Amen. Because what we're about to read is horrible. So the Bible tells us that when Joshua, when the stuff was brought out, Joshua sent men to the tent, they dug it up, there it was, they found exactly what he had done, then Joshua and all Israel with him, verse 24 says uh, in, in chapter 7, uh, in all Israel, it took Achan the son of Zerah, the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had, and they brought them to the valley of Achor. Before I read verse 25, let me remind you what they did. It's interesting to me that they took that which belonged to the Lord, the garment, the silver, and the gold, and they threw it in to this pile with all that belonged to Achan. They didn't separate it. They didn't turn around and give it back to the Lord where it needed to be. It was already... Cursed, if you will. It was already taken and used in a way it was not intended to be used. And so it was to be done away with, with those who had done it. I I find that an interesting judgment, but nonetheless, uh, it was a judgment. Verse 25, and Joshua said, why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned him with fire after they had stoned him with stones. That's a, that's a serious, severe thing, man. What about his children? They were in there. What about his livestock? They were in there. What about Now, you may question this, but listen, let me tell you something. You're wise not to question God. Amen. Be very careful with that. But I believe this. I believe you cannot appreciate the grace of God unless you have somehow seen an example of the wrath of God. You know what this ought to do to us? It ought to make us very grateful that we are in a dispensation of grace. Amen. Amen. It shouldn't drive us to the point of questioning Almighty God. It should drive us to the point of praising Him because the attitude towards sin by God remains the same. The penalty for sin remains the same. The difference is that Jesus paid for ours. Amen. Amen. So what of our sin? Some people do not think it's enough to just exercise grace. They think that somehow there has to be a bit of a stoning and burning of their own somehow. I have to disagree with that. I don't think that's the way to do things. Still, some people believe that there needs to be more than just a confession, and I would have to say to you there should be a life that ...somehow points to the direction of the supposed decision. Would you agree? For a person to say they've got something right, their life ought to indicate that they've got it right. For a person to say, I've dealt with that, and now I'm serving the Lord, their life ought to indicate that they're serving the Lord. John chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses... But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Let's talk about grace. The difference in grace and mercy. Mercy, God is a merciful God. But mercy is when we do not get that which we deserve. So God is merciful in that he doesn't render to us the same kind of judgment that was rendered on Achan. He's merciful. But grace is different than mercy. Grace is when we get something we don't deserve. We don't deserve God's favor. That's grace. We don't deserve for someone else, such as Jesus, only Jesus, who died in our place for our sin. We don't deserve the fact that He is the intercessor for us. We don't deserve the fact that we've actually been given Scripture in 1 John. Beginning in uh, chapter 1, verse 4. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Verse 6 says, if we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That verse of scripture is used so many times to try to win people to Christ. But I'm telling you, it wasn't given to the lost person. The principle is good. Repentance is needed. But that verse was given to the believer. The verse was given to a Christian who was out of fellowship with God. The verse was given to a person who is part of the family of God, the people of God, who are living like they're not. This is how we can get it right, he said. This is how we can move from a life that is filled with defeat and trouble into the victory again walking in fellowship with God and not in opposition with Him. Paul the Apostle made this statement in Galatians 2 and verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Do not set aside the grace of God, he said. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. So Paul is saying, listen, let me explain something. Uh, I placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And that old me, that flesh side of me, it was crucified with Christ. You know what that means, you? When you got saved, he died for all of your sin. Now, does that mean you don't need to come back to him and... Deal with things that are in your life. No, no, no. To the contrary, it will not take you out of the family of God to have sin in your life. It will certainly take you out of fellowship with God, though. And First John one verse nine is designed to bring you back into fellowship. What we're talking about is thirty six men died in chapter seven of Joshua because they did not follow what God said do to begin with. Not those men, but Achan did. Now there's a way to get it all right. And the way to do it in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, while the ways of doing it differ in the law and the grace, the principle remains, you must deal with it. You must uncover what is beneath the surface. You cannot leave it there and act as though it is not there. You cannot go on and pretend there is nothing going on. So I ask you today, if it applies, restore the fellowship. We have this wonderful grace of God that allows us to do that. Chapter 8, and I'll close on this very positive note. I believe there was some apprehension. Joshua went to the people after they dealt with what was below the surface. He said, "Oh, by the way, God has said we're going back against AI." I'm sure there were people who thought, "I don't know, man. Maybe we go around AI. Why do we have to go?" Every now and then, I run into people who have, at one time in their life. Serve the Lord. And circumstances, defeat, <clears throat> problems, trouble. Now have kept them out of the battle. <clears throat> the best thing in the world to do, when you have dealt with what God said deal with, hear me. Get back in the battle. And watch God do remarkable things again. That is exactly what he does in AI. So I say to you, God wants to show himself strong in your life. As a pastor of what I believe to be the greatest church anywhere, I believe God wants to show himself strong in our church. But if, that's a big word, if there are things beneath the surface, beneath the surface, cannot unless we deal with it. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you today and we ask your blessings. Lord, I come to you today realizing that the message can be understood in a variety of ways. Not fully, Lord, not fully understanding how you might want to use this in the hearts of the people. But I do come to you, Lord, and I ask you to work. As you have done so very many times in this very building, Lord, beneath this very roof, both powerfully and personally. And during this reflection time, during this invitation time, maybe some of us just need to come and praise you because you are a loving and forgiving God. Maybe we need to come and reestablish our gratitude for the success you have brought to our lives and remind you that we will not forget you. That we remain reliant on you. Maybe there are others that need to come, Lord, uncovering something, something you already know is there, something they're not going to surprise you about something Lord being brought to you will enable them to recover the victory restore the victory in Jesus name. Well, heads are bowed and eyes are closed